Tired of complex and high credit card processing fees? It's time to simplify. Whether you own a big business or a small startup, Empower Payments can save you money. Streamline your payment process while saving money today with Empower Payments. Learn more at EmpowerPayments.com. That's EmpowerPayments.com. Garrison and Toth presents The Shift with Jack Johnson on ESPN Kansas City, 1510 AM and 94.5 FM. Back on with another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Shout out to our presenting sponsors, starting with Gerritsen and Toth. They handle the most complex felony, federal, or state criminal defense cases. You'll find them in doing that successfully, helping criminal defendants all over the Kansas City area and northeast Kansas for years. Also, be sure to visit Kim Hauer and Associates Agency at 105th and Metcalf in Overland Park. Or give Kim and her team a call at 913-649-2002. That's 913-649-2002 for a quote on your home and auto insurance today. And if you call that number and mention that you heard their ad here on The Shift, they will give you a free $10 gift card to Starbucks to use on coffee, tea, breakfast items. It's your $10, so all you got to do is call that number at 913 649 2002 and mentioned that you heard their ad here on the shift. Well, it wasn't so much of the Sunflower showdown last night. It was more so of the Sunflower beatdown. I know the final score isn't really going to depict it. Right when you look at the 90 to 78 score, I don't think anybody would really say it was a complete and utter beatdown. And it didn't feel like Kansas State was completely out of it. Kansas just controlled that game pretty much from the 12-minute mark of the first half to the end of the game. Kansas State had runs. They cut it within single digits a couple of times. But Allen Fieldhouse was just too much for the Wildcats last night in a 90-78 defeat to the Kansas Jayhawks. What I loved about this game from Kansas is that we saw a little bit of production and good minutes from this bench. You get six points from Bobby Pettiford. You get five from Joseph Yesfu, five from Zach Clemens, and three from Ernest Uday. And I thought Ernest Uday was the best off the bench for Kansas. You know, K.J. Adams had early foul trouble. You're playing a bigger K-State lineup. They had David Gasson back, who didn't play in round one at Bramlage. You have Naquan Tomlin out there. Ish Masood's a big dude. And K.J. Adams certainly held his own when he was on the floor. But Ernest Uday, with Zubiezha for being out, can be that true backup big. And we're seeing him get more and more comfortable. And boy, oh boy, did he need that game against Kentucky. Against a big lineup like that, on the road, SEC play. And he handles Oscar Shibway. You give him that confidence. And he was the first big off the bench last night. You know, he took one shot, but it was an offensive rebound and a stick back. That was enough for me, for Ernest Duda. And that's what I think Ernest Duda can... Set a goal for every single game. You know, be active on the glass. He had six boards, a couple offensive rebounds. He was physical down in the paint. And if Kansas can get that from Ernest Uday every other game, I think you'll start to see this bench play really take a performance boost. Because Ernest Uday was active on the glass. He had the stick back. 
And I think that's enough. That line last night is good enough for me for Ernest Duday. 3.6 boards. You know the majority of the scoring is going to come from that starting five. But when you can get a little bit more from your bench, it only makes this team better. And what did we talk about during the Kansas losing streak? You know, where they were getting their scoring from. Well, it was Jalen Wilson and nobody else. It was Jalen Wilson dropping 35 and getting eight, nine boards. Everybody else, seven points, six points, no points, four points. Last night, well-balanced. Jalen Wilson gives you 20. Dewan Harris, who everybody wanted crucified in that three-game losing streak, he gives you 18 on 12 shots. Ties a career high. Kevin McCuller also added to that list of being crucified during the three-game losing streak. He gives you a double-double last night. 16 and 13 from your wing. Now, he was 2 of 10 from the floor, but knocked down a pair of threes and was fantastic from the free throw line. He's shooting above 80% and his last 24 trips to the foul line. Grady Dick wasn't that good last night, but at least you can probably chalk it up to being in some foul trouble. I don't really think that Grady Dick is a guy that is expected or should be expected to carry the workload offensively. He's going to give you points, right? He is a five-star freshman. He's been one of the best freshmen in the country. But leave the scoring, the offensive weight on Jalen Wilson's shoulders. He's the veteran. He's the older guy. He's the guy that came back from the draft combine and wanted one more year. And if you get 9 to 15 points from Grady Dick, that's fine. K.J. Adams in that foul trouble gives you 8 on 6 shots. But the bench play, man, that was the difference to me. Because when K-State played KU in Manhattan, right, it was all about K-State's bench play. Desi Sills gave them 24 off the bench. You can't compete with that. Anytime a bench player gives you 24, uh, that's really, really tough to beat. And then somebody else in your starting fives gives you 26, like Keontae Johnson. But this is one of the first times we've seen Kansas's bench play really perform in the conference. I mean, Zach Clements... Got a lot of minutes last night because of the foul trouble with both Ernest Duday and K.J. Adams. He had a big three and a big stretch uh, or a big run for Kansas in the first half. You know, he took four shots, had five points, gives you three boards. If Zach Clemens can give you that every other game, you're going to win a lot. But it was so important, I think, for this Kansas team, especially with what happened in Manhattan. They didn't just need to beat Kansas State. They needed to win by double digits. They needed to control that game, and they did that. Now, this Kansas State team, I thought, just couldn't defend Kansas. Let's just be simple about it. Kansas shot 40% from the floor, 40% from deep, hit 11 threes, four more threes than Kansas State, and we're 71% from the free throw line. Now, uh, I know there's always going to be that talk of officials here, officials that. And they were not great last night. I was in attendance at the game. You want that game to be decided by the players. And there were 71 free throws shot last night. K-State was 31 of 36. Kansas was 25 of 35. There were some ticky-tack fouls. Jerome Tang got a technical foul early on in the first half. It was John Higgins' crew, which you just know fouls are going to be called every single possession. You know, they just want to insert themselves into the game. But foul calls or not, Kansas controlled the game offensively. They got their looks from deep. There were a couple of wide-open looks that just fell a little bit short. But Kansas State was really having to work for their shots. And Keontae Johnson, he was great last night. I mean, he truly is a pro prospect. He is so physical, so strong. 
some of the moves he has the goal it's like trying to stop a bull going straight for the the hoop i mean it's he is so much bigger than all the wing players he plays against he can back you down he can drive straight to the goal he initiates contact and gets to the free throw line last night he gives k state 22 and 12 on 19 shots marquise noel who i saw a couple of times he was very fired up in that game and chirping the crowd a little bit uh, his first three point make he just shushed the crowd. His second one, I couldn't really tell who it was. It was more so about 20 rows to the left of me. And he was chirping somebody in the crowd after he had his second three-pointer. So he was ready to go, fired up for that game. He gives Kansas State 23-3-4 uh, as the number one guard for the Cats, but also turned the ball over five times. And you could tell that, too, that early on, K-State usually had an answer for when the crowd got loud. Kansas went on a run. But once they stopped answering... Once they stopped ringing the bell, uh, they were going to be blown out of that gym. Now, they always seemed to stay close enough where it wasn't a complete and utter beatdown. But I think from that film, from what you saw on the court, uh, there was really not going to be a chance that Kansas State slowed down KU's offense. They were too hot from deep. They were getting to the line. And if you are going to come back in a game, you can't have officials that are calling fouls left and right. Because Kansas would then have the mentality of, okay, if things are getting close, we got to get to the hoop. And we're going to draw contact, we're going to get to the free throw line and knock down our free throws. The games where you have comebacks are ones where the officials aren't really involved. You're not having to worry about giving up freebies every single time or not being able to defend uh, as physical as you'd like to. Last night, though, for the Big 12 race, I think it sent a little bit of a message that, number one, this conference is incredibly tough. Number two... I don't know when Kansas State's going to beat Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse, but it didn't feel like they were any closer last night. They're going to get you a couple of times, especially with Jerome Tang as the head coach in Bramlage. There's just no way around it. Now, you are going to likely lose Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel next year, but I'm sure he's going to be able to replace them just as easily. So you're going to get you know, nicked up a few times, lose in Manhattan. That happens. That's happened over the last 20 years a few times. And Lawrence, though, there has been very few times that game has been close. It doesn't matter if that K-State team is top five nationally or has five wins on the year. I can recall two times in the last decade it has been decided by a single possession. Sometimes it's a 20-point blowout, 15-point blowout, 10-point, 12-point win. That's just the way it usually goes. And if you're Kansas State and you are playing to win the conference, you usually go for a split. You hope for a split because you're just not going to win it out on Fieldhouse. And not many teams can win it out on Fieldhouse, not even the best ones. And that's why Kansas has won the conference year in, year out. At minimum, they're splitting. They have been swept one time in Bill Self's tenure at Kansas. It was to Oklahoma State and Mike Boynton. The only time Kansas has been swept. And if you're never getting swept then you're likely going to be first or second in the conference. You're going to share it. You're going to win it outright. And now Kansas is one game back of Texas. And they're in the midst of their most brutal stretch in conference play. They get Kansas State, Iowa State, and Texas. Then they can take a breather. They are almost through this gauntlet that started back on January 14th, where they got Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU, Baylor, Kentucky, Kansas State, Back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back to back. Now they get Iowa State names, 
who just blew a 23-point lead to Texas Tech. Take that for what you will. Maybe that means Iowa State's going to be even more pissed off coming into that game. Then you get Texas. And Texas right now is the top dog in the Big 12, but you get Texas at home. Then you can take a little bit of a breather, as much as you can breathe with how good the Big 12 is. I mean, you play Oklahoma and Oklahoma State back-to-back on the road. It's an Oklahoma team that was up 30 on number 2 Alabama over the weekend, but also an Oklahoma team that's very inconsistent. You get Oklahoma State near the bottom of the conference. Then you get Baylor at home very few times, if ever. I can't even remember the last time Baylor would have swept Kansas in conference play. Haven't done it under Bill Self. Kansas has at least found a way to split every single time or sweep the Baylor Bears. Then you get TCU in Fort Worth. And TCU, a little bit banged up. Then you get a great stretch of West Virginia and Texas Tech back-to-back at home. Then you wrap up the year, which could decide the Big 12 in Austin against the Texas Longhorns. You are almost through this brutal stretch. And if you can go 1-1 one one over these next two, I think Kansas goes on to win the conference. Because you are going to see some of these teams slip up. You are going to see Iowa State slip up more than they already have. You're going to see Kansas State slip up. You're going to see Texas slip up. Baylor's already slipped up. Kansas has already slipped up. It could come down to Kansas and Baylor for all we know. But last night was more so of a message that every time you think you have Kansas on the ropes, every time you feel like it's not as good of a team, they bounce back and they respond in a fantastic way. They had lost three in a row down in the dumps. People wanted DeWan Harris Jr. benched. People wanted Kevin McCuller benched. People were tired that they had no size. K.J. Adams needed to you know, take a seat on the bench. Now they needed more physicality from their big man. They needed a backup guard that could come in and take over for Dewan Harris. And you know, they weren't scoring at a high clip. They couldn't rebound. They were turning the ball over. Doom and gloom. Worst team Bill Self's ever had. Haven't we heard that before? Every time Kansas loses more than one game, worst and weakest team we've ever seen under Bill Self. Well, how did they respond? They go into Lexington and beat Kentucky at Rupp Arena in front of a rocking, hostile crowd. Then they host number 7 Kansas State. And that's not just to add in there as a fun note, a fun fact. Kansas State is a top 10 team nationally, and the Jayhawks dominated them last night. Kansas State is a very good basketball team. Just because they're Kansas State and you feel like they're overperforming and eventually they're going to fall back down to earth, You don't fall back down to earth after 22 games. You are who you are. Kansas State is a very well-coached, very talented, very physical, very athletic college basketball team. And you dominated them last night. Those are the type of wins that you kind of can't take for granted in the Big 12. You know, Texas lost by 14 or 12 or 14 at home to Kansas State. Baylor lost in overtime to Kansas State. That's an impressive win last night. And just because you beat Kansas State all the time at Allen Fieldhouse doesn't make this just some freebie easy win. You had to beat a very physical Kansas State team that was healthier than the last time you saw them. You had to avenge the loss that happened in Manhattan. And Kansas last night sent a message that no matter how many games we lost in a row, three being the most, you're always going to have to look over your left shoulder because they are a team that's not going to go away. They are the only team and I mean the only team in the Big 12 that has as severe of a home court advantage over everybody else. You've got great environments and great home court advantages. Allen Fieldhouse is a severe home court advantage. 
when teams are going through their schedule, you almost never chalk up a W in Allen Fieldhouse. And teams are going to say it's because of the officials, because of the crowd, because Kansas is that good. Whatever reason you want to give, nobody goes onto their schedule and puts a W next to Kansas's name on the road. No, I think the second-best environment, probably Hilton Coliseum. Probably Ames, Iowa, when Iowa State's really good. When Texas Tech's really good, probably right behind Allen Fieldhouse. When Kansas State's really good, right behind Allen Fieldhouse. But there's a difference between a great home court and a severe home court. And having a severe home court advantage puts you at the top of the conference every single time. You know, Baylor can win the first one in Waco. K-State can win the first one in Manhattan. You know, TCU, they were the only team this year to come and just dominate Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse, and it was in the midst of a bad stretch for Kansas. It can happen. You can still beat Kansas there, but it's in your mind that it is going to be quite an uphill battle to win. And if you are going to win the conference outright, you have to sweep Kansas. And only one team has done that, Mike Boyden's Oklahoma State Cowboys a few years back. It is going to be such a fun race to the finish, and Kansas State by no means is out of it now. They've lost three in a row away from Bramlage Coliseum, and they do have a very tough test coming up. They get the Texas Longhorns on Saturday. Then they host TCU, who beat them by 14 in Fort Worth. Then you have to go on the road to Lubbock, who just beat Iowa State. You go on the road to Norman. Then you get Iowa State and Baylor back-to-back. It's a tough little stretch for Kansas State. But they do finish the year with three easier games. Oklahoma State in Stillwater, Oklahoma at home, and then on the road at West Virginia. And now, I do want to preface that no game in the Big 12 is a gimme, a freebie, but it's easier than some of the opponents you have been facing. Facing Oklahoma at home is much easier than facing number 10 Texas at home. And Texas right now is rolling. And if you're a Kansas fan, you might root for purple on Saturday. Because you need to beat Iowa State, and you need Kansas State to beat Texas. If not, you'll have to do it yourself uh, the following week. So Kansas gets a win 90-78 to over Kansas State. They move to 18-4 and on the season and move to 6-3 and in conference play, now in a three-way tie for second with the Wildcats and the Cyclones. Texas atop the conference at 7-2 and and 18-4. and So Texas will not play until Saturday against Kansas State. Kansas State, of course, will play Texas as well. There's no other game scheduled for them until that point. And Iowa State, who lost the other night, they will not play anybody until Kansas. So the four top teams in the Big 12, they'll all be playing each other on Saturday. We'll have plenty to get into with that on Friday. We'll take our first break of the show when we come back. Well, it feels like we've done this before. It feels very familiar because Tom Brady retired exactly one year ago today, and he just announced this morning that he is retiring for good. Do we believe him? Do we not? We'll tell you next on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on the show on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. Well, per Tom Brady, he's done. He's calling it quits. 
he is finally retiring again from the NFL, per his Twitter account. Now, he had a little message, just putting the camera right in front, wanting to get out ahead of it before any beat reporter could break it like he did last year, or like I believe it was Adam Schefter did last year, before the Super Bowl. He didn't like how it went down. He didn't want that to break. He wanted to tell his side before any beat reporter could say that he was retiring. So he comes back, plays another year. Tampa Bay was a terrible football team. They get smacked by the Cowboys in the NFC wildcard game. But at least he got to host a playoff game. But it was a very physically and emotionally taxing year for Tom Brady. I think everybody could see that. You know, a divorce within his family. No, Tampa Bay wasn't very good, getting banged up, lost all of his offensive linemen. It was not a fun year for Tom Brady. So I don't blame him one bit for going, hey, I got a cushy job waiting for me in the broadcast booth. Why go back and put my body through this again when Tampa Bay is not going to be much better? Not going to be very good. But without further ado, here is what Tom Brady had to say on what appears to be his official retirement from the NFL. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. Aaron, for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured... I just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long-winded. Like you only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So I uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me. My family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. So that was Tom Brady announcing his retirement from the NFL this morning. Now, do we believe Tom Brady? Do we not? Uh, Of course, everybody will take that with a grain of salt with what happened last year. Announcing his retirement, saying that he was done. You know, didn't go out on top, but still had seven Super Bowl rings, won one in in Tampa Bay. But then fell fell short in the NFC Divisional Round. And then, of course, this past year losing in the NFC Wild Card Round. So if it is really quits for Tom Brady, man, we really could just play what we had last year and breaking down his retirement because one year ago today, he announced his retirement from the NFL. So the 15-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and seven-time Super Bowl champion is calling it quits. Threw for nearly 90,000 yards in his career, 649 touchdowns. He won over 250 games over the course of 335 games, 333 starts. Uh, Spent a ton of time in New England, 20 years, just three in Tampa Bay. Over his time in Foxborough, He won 219 games, lost just 64 times. In three years in Tampa, he was 32-18. and What baffles me of playing in 335 games, never had a tie. Tom Brady played for 23 years in the NFL, never had a tie. I guess that's what the great ones do. They either decided by a win or a loss. You're not going to be mediocre and have a tie on your all-time record because the NFL is stupid for having ties in the first place. But yeah. Over 335 games, Tom Brady never had a tie. But won over 250 games 
this past season was the first time, first time in his NFL career that his team had a losing record. That is ridiculous to think about. Tom Brady went 8-9 and nine this year. The last time that Tom Brady quarterbacked a team in a full 16- or 17-game schedule, and they did not have double-digit wins. It was 2002. And I believe that was the last time the Patriots missed the playoffs with Brady. So 9-7. and seven. His first year as a starter, they went 11-3. and three. Then in 03, they went 14 and 2, 04, 14 and 2, 05, 10 and 6, 12 and 4 in 2006. In 2007, of course, the 16 and 0 season that fell short in the Super Bowl against the Giants. Then the following year, 2008, it was the Bernard Pollard situation where Tom Brady only played in one game and then hurt his knee and was out for the year. Then followed it up with a 10 and 6 season, then went 14 and 2, 13 and 3, 12 and 4, 12 and 4, 12 and 4, 11 and 1, 13 and 3, 11 and 5, 12 and 4, 11 and 5, 13 and 4, and then went 8 and 9. So, not necessarily ending your career on a high note, but here was always the thing is that Tom Brady, for as long as he played, there's no perfect way to go out, right? I think Peyton Manning maybe had the most perfect way of going out. He won a Super Bowl. But he was terrible statistically that year. He was a shell of what he had used to be. One of the most feared passers in the NFL was basically given the responsibility of handing the ball off. That was Peyton Manning in his final year. Use the defense, use the running game, use his offensive line. Wasn't asked to pass that much. That's how Peyton Manning's career came to an end. Tom Brady was still playing at a high level. Right, he was near the top in the league in passing yards. They didn't have a bad touchdown-to-interception ratio. Completion percentage wasn't bad. And for a 45-year-old quarterback, uh, pretty good numbers. 67% completion percentage, had 25 touchdowns, 9 picks. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to complain about numbers like that from a 45-year-old. So I can give Tom Brady credit there. But I think everybody wondered how the story would come to an end for Tom Brady. Was he going to bottom out? Was he going to have an injury like Peyton Manning did with his neck? Was he going to have poor play that forced him out? Everybody always tells you, the league will tell you when it's time to retire. You will not retire on your own. The league will tell you when it's time to retire. It's very famous, or a famous saying in baseball, right? That eventually you're going to be told you can't play this game anymore. We used a money ball quote yesterday. We'll use another one today, even to talk about football. We're all told at some point in time that you can no longer play the children's game. We don't know what's going to be. Some of us are told when we're 18. Some of us are told when we're 40, but we're all told. So Tom Brady, over the course of his career, was never really told that he was not good enough to play in this league anymore. But I think the physical and emotional tax that he got from this year eventually led to his decision. Now, maybe he'll speak more to that and the shows he goes on, the interviews he has, the podcast he goes on. Maybe in the booth he'll say what really led him to retire. I mean, divorcing your wife midseason or going through a divorce is not easy, whether you're a football player or an accountant. You're dealing with off-field, outside-the-office type of stuff. Yeah, it's going to emotionally tax you. And the physical taxing. You're playing every single Sunday. 
You're having to travel across the country. You've lost multiple linemen. You're playing with backup linemen. Your receivers aren't very good. Your running back room is banged up. You have a new head coach. I mean, there was a lot going on. And for a 45-year-old quarterback, I don't blame him for taking a step back and going, I can't go through this again. Right, and everybody was wondering, well, where does Tom Brady go now? Is he going to go to Vegas and go play with the Raiders? I always thought to myself, why the hell would he go to the toughest conference, the AFC, go to the AFC West where he'd have to play Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes four times in one year? I mean, the only reason the Buccaneers made the playoffs this year and Tom Brady at least got to win his division one last time was because the NFC South was effing terrible. There was no quarterback in that division other than Tom Brady. And I'm sure he looked at it and said, I could go back and win that division again, but we're not getting another Super Bowl. I'm not playing at that level anymore. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are getting older. They're really not that well coached with Todd Bowles. There were so many exterior factors within that team. You know, front office problems, coaching problems, you know, big egos. There was no need to stick around that anymore because at the end of the day, uh, Tom Brady's accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He's the winningest quarterback of all times. He's won seven Super Bowls. He won six with New England, left New England. Everybody said, well, maybe it was Bill Belichick all these years, immediately won one in Tampa Bay and beat Patrick Mahomes, who is considered right now the best quarterback in the game. So he accomplished exactly what he wanted to accomplish, but sometimes when you're that great of a player, it's tough to walk away because Tom Brady wasn't a terrible quarterback by the end of it. He was not anywhere near where he was even the year before. I mean, he's having to go through a lot of checkdowns. The Buccaneers' offense was 25th in scoring. It was a terrible team to watch. And Tom Brady is used to being able to have 40-plus passing touchdowns, you know, close to 5,000 yards passing, even past age 40. But last year was very telling that he's not able to sling it down the field anymore, and he doesn't have the offensive line anymore. He doesn't have the receivers that create separation. He doesn't have Gronk anymore. And that does impact your decisions, which is why I think he's finally done. And also, when you come out of retirement once, then you kind of lose the the power of retiring. You know, people already had their farewell messages for him when he first retired. Everybody had those segments of how great he was for the game and we'll never see anything like Tom Brady again. And that's exactly right. We're never going to see another Tom Brady. We're not going to see this guy that was not very athletic, not mobile, was just gawky looking in the combine, gets drafted by New England, who was nowhere near a dynasty at the time, had Drew Bledsoe as their quarterback, then Brady takes over to do an injury, and the rest is history. When seven Super Bowls of dynasties built, they were the most feared team in football for a long, long time. We will never see that in the NFL with a quarterback. Closest thing we've gotten this year is Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy ain't winning seven Super Bowl rings. Even Patrick Mahomes who is a far better talent than Tom Brady ever could hope to be. He's mobile, can throw on the run. He's got the arm power, the strength, the coachability, the IQ. The Well, I would say a little bit of the footwork. Patrick Mahomes' footwork is a little bit unorthodox, but it works, so why would I complain about fo- footwork when I'm not an expert on those things? But he is a far better talented player than Tom Brady ever was. Patrick Mahomes is likely not winning seven Super Bowls. We can all hope for that. We can hope that Mahomes can go on a tear, which is why we spent 30 minutes on the show yesterday saying how important it is that you have to capitalize on your Super Bowl appearances. You can't go one and three in Super Bowls, and people consider you the greatest of all time. 
You win a couple, then you can have that debate. Rodgers won one. Drew Brees won one. You know, Joe Montana won four. Now, Joe Montana wasn't shattering records left and right, but he won a lot. And that will always factor in. And I believe that Tom Brady is closer to a Bill Russell type than he is to a Michael Jordan or LeBron type. If you can kind of pick up what I'm putting down here. Like, Michael Jordan and LeBron James revolutionized the game. And Michael Jordan was different. He was the guy that could take over games. And Bill Russell could take over games, but he won a hell of a lot more than Michael Jordan did. Won a hell of a lot more than LeBron James did. But there's a reason why it's different from sport to sport. You know, in basketball, there's always going to be the debate. In the NFL, there is the debate, too. But the Brady supporters are going to say Brady's the best of all time because he won seven Super Bowls. And he had great records, too. It wasn't like he was just carried every single year. He didn't have great numbers as a quarterback early on in his you know, tenure in New England. But he won a lot. He did enough to win those games. He had good defenses. He had a great head coach. But I think every great quarterback had a great head coach, had great weapons around him. We can't deny that. And Tom Brady is going to go down as the winningest quarterback of all time. But when you talk about the best, uh, how do you want to ca- ca- categorize it? You know, How do you want to put these players into those categories? Do you strictly go off winning? Right, Brady's seven. Rodgers has been called by some the greatest of all time. Multiple MVPs, back-to-back MVPs. Rodgers is a better talent than Tom Brady. He is. There's no denying that. Also shown in the draft. He was drafted much higher than Tom Brady. People believed he was a higher prospect than Tom Brady. But maybe it's because Tom Brady had this rise that no other quarterback really had. And you're talking about some of the best out there of all time. You're talking about Rodgers. And I'm talking current NFL. You know, Rodgers, a Drew Brees, a Peyton Manning. You know, they didn't have what Tom Brady did. Now, Tom Brady was a quarterback out of Michigan, fell late in the draft, was a backup early on. Then Drew Bledsoe got hurt and everybody went, oh boy. Tom Brady's taking over. Nobody in their right mind would have predicted he could have done what he accomplished. Seven Super Bowl rings, always won his division. Only one season with a losing record. Multiple times of winning double-digit games. I mean, that is nearly impossible to do. And especially for a guy that wasn't oozing with talent. So when you're talking about the greatest of all time, how do you want to categorize it? Is it Super Bowl wins? Well, then it's Tom Brady. There's nobody that's going to touch Tom Brady. Is it arm talent? Skill? You know, is it that type of platform you want to die on? Well, then it's probably a Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes or maybe if Joe Burrow and Josh Allen can win a couple more. You know, if you want to go on sheer talent alone, all those guys who I just mentioned are better talents than Tom Brady. But Tom Brady capitalized better than any other quarterback we've ever seen in the NFL. When he got to a Super Bowl, he more often than not won. And that puts you in a different category. Like Bill Russell with the Celtics, always won. Multiple rings, that was never going to be touched. You know, Michael Jordan, won six. You know, and you felt like that's not going to be touched. And LeBron and Kobe tried, or still are trying right now with LeBron, but there's different levels to it. Like, I think LeBron James... And this is such a bad way to do it, so I hate already making this comparison. But you go one-on-one, LeBron versus Michael Jordan. Now they're different in size and physicality. LeBron's winning. Or if they were on the court, let's say if prime LeBron played prime Jordan, I'd probably lean towards prime LeBron because he's more 
you know, Michael Jordan's athletically and physically gifted, I think, more so than we've ever seen in the NBA. But LeBron is a different type of freak. It's why at age 40-plus or nearing 40, he's still dropping 30, 10, and 8 every single night. But, again, there's going to be people that will never die on the hill of LeBron James. They just think Michael Jordan's the best. You know, I had a three or just dominated with the Bulls early to mid-90s. Six rings. Repeated time and time and again as an NBA champion. Tried baseball. Didn't work out. But some people will just die on that hill. But Michael Jordan doesn't have as many rings as Bill Russell. LeBron James doesn't have as many rings as Michael Jordan or Bill Russell, of course. Neither does Kobe. But there's always going to be that different argument. Who is the best? And I think in the NFL, you can't really decide who's the best until all these careers are done with the guys that are being in consideration. Now, Tom Brady, I think, is always going to get the nod over Peyton Manning because they were two similar type of players. Weren't very mobile. Threw the ball a hell of a lot. Peyton kind of had his own thing in Indianapolis, but just never could best Tom Brady in New England. When Patrick Mahomes' career is done, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, then we can start to have the conversation of really who's the best of all time. But we won't know until we see where those careers end up. But if this is really it for Tom Brady, you do have to tip your cap, even if you hate him. And I know people in Kansas City, and hell, I'm not going to say just Kansas City, everywhere but Foxborough and Tampa, Florida, you likely don't like Tom Brady. You just were born to hate him. Because he won a lot. He was the Darth Vader of the NFL. Nobody wanted to root for him. You know, to see him have those game-winning drives time and time and again. To see the praise that he got. People didn't want to see it. They didn't want to see the evil empire succeed up in New England. And it did. It did for 20 years. And then he took part of that evil to Tampa, Florida. To a franchise that had pretty much been irrelevant for five to six, maybe even better part of a decade and immediately turned them into a Super Bowl winner. We'll never see anybody like Tom Brady again. No, I'm happy he's retiring. I'm actually curious to see what he sounds like in the booth. But for the most part, I'm happy to see him out of the game. I'm happy the new age of the NFL is now completely taking over. Aaron Rodgers is really one of the last guys standing uh, from the old age of the NFL. And we'll see how much longer Aaron Rodgers plays. But per Tom Brady and his Twitter account, he is calling it quits for good. So second time he's retired, will he come out of retirement again? I'd give it a five to ten percent chance, and I'm maybe lowballing it, but I feel like when you retire a second time, it's usually for good. I think the next stop for Tom Brady is up in the booth with Fox. Marco, before we head to break, uh, number one, is this it for Tom Brady? Is he finally retiring? And number two, because this may be one of the last times we talk about Tom Brady as a player, and I think I said that last year as well, one year ago today. But if it is it, how would you summarize, how would you speak of Tom Brady, the player, now that it's all said and done? Uh, I mean, what's all what's left it what's left to be what is there left to be said that hasn't been said already about him as a player in his career? Um, what I'm looking forward to is in the retirement is uh, the book, the stories that come out. I know that's a book that's going to be widely uh, advertised and widely sold as people will be interested not only to hear about Tom talk about his legacy and his career uh, in the NFL, but 
some stories from behind the scenes, of course. I mean, we just got to witness we wit we witnessed the greatest football player of all time, and I want to say I'm looking forward to a docu series about him. But I feel like we've already gotten like two or three of those before he even retired. So um, it'll be it'll, uh, it'll, it, it's I mean he's the goat. Simple as that. You, you only need one. You only need one word to. Uh, summarize his whole career, um, but this definitely doesn't take him out of the limelight, as you pointed out, with him hitting hitting the hitting the Fox or having that offer from Fox to be in the booth uh, as a color analyst. So that'd be fascinating. But sim- in simple terms, the goat. He is the goat. Made it look made it look simple. Made it look uh, made made it made it look easy at times when it shouldn't have been. Um, I guess if you want another one, one oh, another one word that you can sum it up, and this goes for any go really, just frustration. But that that's that you won't hear that from a new you you probably won't hear that from a New England fan. Um, just the people from the haters and the ones that respect but had to go up against the goat um, during his player career because uh, uh, it, it it was it was frustrating when he when he was at playing at the top of his game and. And the marquee of his game was at a peak. The accuracy, the release, and just the uh, the comebacks too. <laughs> That's why he doesn't have a tie. And you said it right there with the greats. It's either a win or a loss. Yep. It is being decided one way or another with Tom Brady, whether he's going to rip your heart out and step on it or you actually be the quarterback that gets the best of him. As for Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken, could be wrong in this, Patrick Mahomes ends his all-time record against Tom Brady at 3 and 3. I think he was 500. Now, two of those losses came in the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. So I think Tom Brady might have gotten the best of Patrick Mahomes. I don't think there's any debate about that whatsoever. We'll take our final break of the show when we come back. Two new coaching hires in the NFL that were announced yesterday. Sean Payton to Denver for draft picks as well that now go to New Orleans. And D'Amico Ryan's now the head coach of the Houston Texans. We'll give you our thoughts on that next on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. Back here on The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN, Kansas City. I'm your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. A little fun stat here. Uh, Tom Brady ends his career at 5-6 and six against the Kansas City Chiefs. If I'm not mistaken, I'm looking at all the teams here in Hopefully nobody got him wrong. As the only team he had a losing record against. Also an absurd stat is his record against the Buffalo Bills. He was 33-3 in his career against Buffalo. 30-7 against the Jets, 24-12 against Miami. The only teams he never lost to, the teams he played for. He's 1-0 against New England when he beat Mac Jones in year one in Tampa. And then 4-0 against the Buccaneers as a member of the New England Patriots. The big news of yesterday... The Denver Broncos have their next head coach. And boy, oh boy, did they go all in to get Sean Payton, former coach of the New Orleans Saints. Now, I do love Sean Payton. I think he's a very intelligent mind. I I watched The Herd with Colin Coward a lot. He was on there as a guest. Very intelligent, a very interesting listen. But I think Denver's trying just a bit hard to stay relevant in the AFC West. They are a team that needs draft picks. And they traded one of their first-round picks this year for Sean Payton. And I believe a 2024 second-round pick next year. So 
you're giving away picks in a time where you need talent because you mortgaged away a lot of your future for Russell Wilson with the expectation that just Sean Payton alone is going to change around Russell Wilson, change this roster, help this defense, and beat the Chargers in Kansas City. That's the goal right now. And the Broncos wanted D'Amico Ryans, who landed in Houston. Now they tried to pry Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan. So Sean Payton wasn't even their number one choice. D'Amico Ryans was. And yet they gave up a first-round pick and multiple picks, actually, to bring him to Denver. Now they still have, I think, the 30th overall pick in the draft from San Francisco from the Bradley Chubb trade. But Denver trying to quickly solve their problems. It feels like they're sticking duct tape on like a dam that's about to bust. And now, maybe I should give Sean Payton a little bit more credit than that. He is a Super Bowl winning head coach. But at the same time, it's not like he's Bill Belichick. It's not like he's Andy Reid. We have seen young guys, young coaches in this league, take off. Which is why I love the D'Amico Ryans hiring so much in Houston. A former Texan, was a great defensive coordinator for the Niners, but we've seen coordinators around this league go and thrive in year one. Brian Dayball came over from Buffalo, took the Giants to the NFC Divisional round in one year. Nick Sirianni, two years to get the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Right, and you could go down the list here of, you know, Mike McDaniel. It was an underachieving year for Miami, I think. They didn't make the postseason, but they were so hurt. They were so banged up. Mike McDaniel was a great hire. Now, some guys are going to falter, like a Brandon Staley. But Doug Peterson, one year in Jacksonville, got to the Super Bowl. Or, excuse me, got to the playoffs, not the Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl. But you look across the board at some of these guys that were already in the game. Doug Peterson is the exception here. And I don't think Sean Payton elevates Denver to the way that the Broncos believe, that John Elway believes, that the front office believes. He was a great head coach. But to mortgage away more of your future after you already mortgaged all of your future in getting Russell Wilson... I don't know why it makes sense. Sean Payton doesn't turn Denver into a 13-4 and team, which I guess is their hope. It turns the Broncos from 6-11 and to maybe 9-8 and at max, which is third place in the AFC West. I don't really get it. I know they needed a head coach. I would have tried a lot harder for D'Amico Ryans. I know that D'Amico Ryans maybe wanted that Houston job just a bit more because that is going to be a fantastic fit, I think, there. And now we'll start to see the Texans on the upswing. We saw them playing better down the stretch with Lovey Smith, but D'Amico Ryan's by far and away, I think, is the best hire so far. And who knows who he brings on to his staff, but I think we're going to see Houston slow. Actually, I'm not going to say slowly. I think they're rapidly going to start making their rise again and the way we saw them make a rise with Deshaun Watson. So that team, the Houston Texans, thought more about the future. The Broncos are stuck in this purgatory almost, of trying quick fixes. I don't understand it. I don't get it. You trade away more first-round picks to get a head coach who didn't even coach last year, who had a losing record in his final year in New Orleans. He's a great coach, Super Bowl-winning head coach, won more than 120 games in his career. He's not the fix in Denver. Quarterback problems are. Structure, foundation, it's not there. Maybe Sean Payton brings that to you, but I don't see Sean Payton being that type of guy to all of a sudden reignite the culture in Denver. They had it. It's gone. Just don't think he's the fix. All right, it's time for some Factor Fiction. Five questions, five takes, and well under five minutes. Marco, fire away. Factor Fiction, KU and K-State will play in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. 
I think it probably depends on where these teams finish up. If Kansas wins the conference, K-State would likely need to finish around fourth or fifth for an early matchup because I don't see these teams meeting in the championship. I think one of these teams will finish third or fourth. I just don't see it being Kansas, Kansas State atop the conference. Texas is too good. Baylor is surging. Can't rule out Iowa State. So I'm going to go fiction on that. I don't think they'll meet. They'll come close. I can see both these teams being in the semifinals. But when it's all said and done, my gut tells me it'll be like Kansas and Texas uh, for the championship in Big Tw- in Kansas City. Factor fiction, Tom Brady stays retired. Yeah, I'm going to go fact on that one. I just don't think you retired twice and come out of retirement two times as well. I think he finally seemed like he was done, and it was such a taxing season on him. I just think he's got a cushy job in the broadcast booth. It's time for him to go off the field and enjoy life after football. Fact or fiction, Tampa Bay signs Jimmy G. Uh, it would be very fitting, wouldn't it? A one Patriot quarterback, just move on to another former Patriot quarterback and who they believe would be the next Tom Brady in New England, at least Bill Belichick did. I think that is a good landing spot for him. I think they're going to try to piece together that team because they still have some talent there. I'll go fact. I think Jimmy G's next home is in Tampa. Fact or fiction, Sean Payton stays longer than three years in Denver. I'll go fiction on that. I think he'll either be fired or he'll move on to another job after a couple years in Denver. Factor fiction, DeMarco, DeMarco, DeMarco Ryans hires J.J. Watt as his defensive coordinator. I saw some cryptic tweet that J.J. Watt and D'Amico Ryans had a picture together, and J.J. Watt had like the eye emoji, like maybe he's joining this staff, but it's too early for J.J. Watt to go be a coach. I'll go fiction on that. I think he'll go with more of a veteran presence. There is Ray Charles, so it's time to go. That wraps up another edition of The Shift on 94.5 FM and 1510 AM ESPN Kansas City. I've been your host, Jack Johnson, alongside Marco Marquez. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 AM. You take it easy, Kansas City.